The lieutenant cherished his belief that he had never revealed his love one little bit, while hoping at the same time that he had made it abundantly clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's the lieutenant in a nutshell. Gotcha. <laughs> Let's just get into this stupid thing. Hey, everybody, oh this is okay. the Machination Log. Hopefully this is recording. My name is David. To my left, we got Ryan. With my Saudi royal family official beverage. Oh, yeah. And, uh... Nicole? Yes, I am not day drinking today. It might be a poor choice. Yeah, neither that. Saudi <laughs> royal family. That makes, that makes one of us. Um, so, Fast Binder Month is over. Oh. All three months of it. It has been a lot of cabbage and a lot of hits and misses. Yeah. Well, a not of, a lot of hits. Uh, it's been a lot of misses and a lot of cabbage. Yeah. Yes. The cabbage well, was pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yeah, this is um, this is Quarrel. We're gathered here to watch Quarrel. It's yeah, we about watch sir. discuss. Just just to just to no, put a little you. perspective on this, we actually attempted four other movies <laughs> before we got this. This is the only one we made it all the way through. Yeah, this dear, is the only hit we got. Yeah, dear listener, we had a pre, we had like a last last of the Mohicans moment with the Fastbinder films. We right? almost gave up completely. Yeah, we had a Fastbinder blitz. We were like, all right, we're going to start chopping through some films, see if anything strikes us within the first 15, 20 minutes. And we gave one film 90 minutes yes. and before we even that decided. That we should plug for the purpose of unplugging. It is World on a Wire. Yes. Which I wanted to do because sci-fi seemed like it would be a dumb direction for Fastbinder to try to lean into, and he managed to make it more boring than I could have possibly yeah, imagined. Yeah, it was really just like a business drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Something I mean like the that. guys look nice in their business suits, and the furniture was okay. But man, that was a snooze fest. Yeah, it, it, uh, it is. Um, it is. It is long. Yeah, I agree. For yeah. it being ninety minutes, it was definitely felt long. Well, it was like yeah, that one was three hours, and we gave it an honest ninety minutes before we gave up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a two-parter. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which was not so necessary. It had a cliffhanger at the ending. It um, didn't. It didn't need to be a one-parter. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was better left unsaid. This movie, on the other hand, Quarrel. So this this caught our fancy immediately, namely because it has color. Um, it has uh, a uh, it has a uh, soundstage, right? It does not yeah, actually shot a sound, on location. and it has a soundstage that is. I don't know. I want to say like the, all of the pillars on the soundstage, like basically the whole stage itself, is just supported by giant structural beams. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of that um, so it kind of like lets you know where you're going right in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. This movie, this is a homosexual fan fiction. Yes. Is the way that I would describe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, every character in this film, there's one woman, and um, she's an older and she's woman. She's kind of a man. Well, it's, she's yeah. A, yeah. She's an older woman sleeping with a lot, very very much younger men. But yes. not all that many of them, because most of them are too busy fucking each other. Yes. Um, or ma- wanting to fuck each other. Yeah. Uh, most of them manage it. Most of them pull it off. Like, there is... Um, a couple r- of them are a little bit more reserved, but, yeah. you know. They, they get around to it. By yeah. the end of two hours, all the ships you want, basically every every angle gets yeah. explored. So this movie... Um, <laughs> this movie is not, like, good, per se. Ryan, you're you're a fan of this distinction between a good movie and a likable movie. Yes, I, I think that this has... Of all the Fassbender... If Fassbender ever had charm, this movie would have charm to it, right? Like, I think that this film kind of this encompasses... Actually, yeah, this. this does have probably the most charm, especially out of the uh, Fassbinders that we previewed. And 
we previewed a lot of them, so I'm guessing we didn't really miss out on a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, this film's charming despite the fact that it is like a slap in the face with a uh, oily rag, you know? Like, I mean, it still has some charm to it. And I've just it's so been, yellow. Yeah, it's, but it's it's got a kind of, I mean, in its in its staginess, right? Like, this is the one thing that's weird about Fast Spinner well, films is that You're while they've been like too. to a weird extent like deliberate, Why? like you never. So in all the films we've seen, we can maybe surmise that Fassbinder is not one for, like, you know, specific mise-en-scene, right? He's not, like, intentionally staging out moment by moment by moment like a like a Coen Brothers would, right? Where, like, each scene, each frame, or each main, the point of, of an interaction, right, is has a specific framing, is trying to convey something very specific and detailed with the way the camera m works. Yeah, I feel like that's a luxury he didn't necessarily Ooh. always have time or money for. And yet, I would hardly say that this film is somehow all improvised, right? Like, there is intentionality behind it. Um, even though everything takes place on a stage, it's not intently, like, just, like, spur of the moment, you know? Like, I think well, he... this one has the most, I think, almost, like, detail to, to set design, because yes, even exactly. his other stuff, when it's stagey, it's not actually set on a soundstage. It's like, oh, we just filmed this all at the same fucking house. Yeah. yeah. You know, because that's the house that we have. He deliberately, like, constructed the set for this film. Um, yeah, Because it is... plays a huge part. Like, I mean, he deliberately chose to make it the exact same part of the day, mm -hmm. the whole movie. Yeah. Well, the sun's painted into yeah, a sunset. Yeah, exactly, so, exactly. Which, that which was a they choice. do a very bad job obscuring <laughs> at several points. I mean, the, the staginess of this is demonstrated. Like, most of the props are okay, guns and the sun aside. Uh, the, the fight choreography no has gotten slightly better yeah. than some of his Broadway, earlier stuff. A little more Broadway, yeah. certainly. Yeah. No, the punches and the stabs, of which there are quite a few in this film. Uh, there's yeah. also a lot of murder, but, but um, well, murder is. This is also, uh, you know, an adaptation from a book, um, a book by author who, uh, I guess, his major themes are murder as basically a religious experience. Cool. Uh, you know, within the fringes of the homosexual community in, uh, you know, France era, sometime post-war. Okay. Yeah. So. Damn. That's a little specific. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't. I, I, so, with, with this, with the initial thing that strikes you about this film is that it doesn't look like every other fast speeder we've seen. It does not. The second thing is that it's on. It's in a setting that is unfamiliar to us, right? And then the third thing is that this is his last film. Yes. Right. He dies shortly after this is completed, and I think it's rather fascinating, which is that I have yet to see, or we have yet to encounter any Fassbinder film that has the kind of qualities, that has the scope, the scale, the the the, the process um, of these other films. And it's kind of a weird departure point, which yeah, is that his last film is, in a sense, one of his most distinguished within his career. And it was also in English, too. Or distinct within his career. Only his, his only English film mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, it was dubbed and subbed, apparently, by yeah. two different departments. Yes, okay, rather hilariously, dear audience and viewers, uh, <laughs> this, this film has uh, is, tells you one thing and shows you another. It is uh, quite amazing and um, was the source of endless fun and confusion the first time we had previewed it before. Yeah, it's odd because the subtitles are more closely related to the content in the book, and then what they're saying does not actually match the subtitles at all in no, the certain No, the screenplay areas. must just be different because there are even times where there are subtitles and no words. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there are actually more words on screen than there are on the page they were reading. Oh. It's a 
strange, bizarre thing. The only the only comparison I have for it is Dust Boat, which is also ironically a German film. If you turn on the doves and the subs at the same time, they the don't totally match up. Different. Mm-hmm. This one is even worse though, because this one manages to get numbers wrong. This one is well, it's it's truly amazing. Oh, I didn't. I don't know if I brought my right notes. It's truly amazing in like how the different dialogue like evokes like one sentence will end with like the guy was in bliss and then the subtitles will end with the fact that he's in sorrow so it's like they're trying to emote two oh, completely different diffi- stories but what's the difference really you know <laughs> speaking of the lieutenant um so let's get into this i want to start with the lieutenant because i feel like he is he's not merely um an important character but he's just Morning, he is sort of the entire aesthetic of this movie he is. um so in order to picture the lieutenant, first, it's yellow. You're on a boat. He's prim. He's got a mustache. Excellent. It's a pretty creepy mustache, which is fitting because he spends most of his time in this film recording his private, mostly homosexual thoughts to himself um, as his captain's log. And um, this character is incredibly endearing. Um, if you like anything about uh, Lolita... Mm-hmm. This character is basically a um, an embodiment of that in a different era, mm-hmm. like just this completely hopeless, borderline scandalous. Probably should not be in. Uh, he should probably be in jail, but mm-hmm. he's not. And for the time being, if you humor him, the prose and the size and the look, the starry-eyed looks at Corel, the main character. He are, definitely has a thing for Corral. Are, are worth the price of admission. This is a movie you cannot take too seriously. Well, this well, is well, but but for the sake of argument, let's try. Right? <laughs> like, okay, yeah, like like let's let's like this guy. Um, well, first off, right. So this is all like you know pre-sexual revolution when the story takes place, right? So these guys are. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm try- I don't know the exact. I mean, the book was written in the 40s or 50s, the wasn't it? The book was written in 53, but yeah. I don't know if that's exactly when this story was supposed to take place. And I don't know that they tell us. There's not I don't any kind of like establishing okay. well, let's uh, dis- time place Well, let's disembody it. homosexuality from its social historical context then, right? The lieutenant, who is, I think, for one thing, the narrator of this film, right? Like in a st- one of two. Yeah, one of two yeah. narrators. <laughs> um, he, you know, relays this, but like as you said, like his, the Humbert Humbert analogy, um, I don't think is exactly off point here, right? Like he is someone enraptured in his own mind, um, and within his own mind is this obsession uh, with Quarrel, right? With this, with his love, um, with his desire for. Um, uh, the person, or maybe his idealized embodiment of Corel himself, because we just saw it the first time on the film when he is talking about this obsession he has uh, with the title character. Um, he, of course, has it um, while looking at famous works of Renaissance art and sculpture and yeah. things like that, depicting the male form. So there is this clear, like, embodiment that this guy is, you know, something so set apart, right? That he it, it, it embodies or is exemplary of. This ideal for him, right? This this love that dare not speak its name kind but of thing. But that's what I mean, yeah. But then he's also in love with an object that is taboo for his cultural fucking place in history. So then I would say then that right, there's a certain amount of like repression that goes yeah. along with this character as well. And you know, much like you know, when the the heat is contained, um, it almost and, and you keep pushing it in, it just compacts the energy, compacts the energy to where something that is so dense burns so bright within him, right? It becomes something. 
where he has to mask it, right? He seems like he has to control it. And... Uh, no, I think I, he lives in a constant duality where he's trying to, like, mask his feelings, but he also wants Corel to know his feelings. I yes. mean, it's it's a constant duality that because he's struggling he, with. All right, he wants it, right? You want to realize it, right? You you And so I think maybe to, like, just contrast him with Corel, um, the character of Corel is just, you know, he is... I mean, the first main interaction we have is when he gets off the ship and then he goes to the bar uh, where his brother's at and No-No, the proprietor, and his brother's the... And this is a nefarious... This is like the nefarious The, the bar. most outlandish whorehouse in yeah, all of Christendom. Yeah. Um, you know, like he is... Uh, so, yeah, a little bit of plot here, right? He's there. His brother is the um, his boyfriend of the madam, um, but the madam's husband is No-No, and he actually runs the joint. Corel goes in there, and why I put up a chart yeah. if you're watching the video but version. Why, why I wanted to bring this up real quick is that to contrast Corel with the lieutenant is that Corel is someone who is the almost exact opposite of the lieutenant, right? He is almost blasé in the way that he treats the major decisions in his life, right? Mm. Like risking his life to, you know, smuggle opium and sell it for five or ten thousand dollars. Committing murder. Whatever. Committing murder. Um, there's also, we can talk, I guess, a little bit later too, like, um, you know, is he is he or could consider himself a homosexual? That's um, and that's whatever. really kind I of on the fence. Want. But yeah, it's it's a total whatever proposition for him essentially. Yeah. So there is this like you know, I think this, this this contrast between the two, right? That it becomes the main uh, a main driver and the in the tension between them that then leads towards the end of the film. And I fucking it's like. <laughs> uh, it is uh, it, it is something to see, right? It is some it is I think something that is there. So, what is uh, what is, I was going to say? What is the relevance of Quarrel? I mean, he is basically just the object of affection throughout the film, and not even necessarily well, and affection. He's a bit, well, and he's a, you know he's supposed to be sort of a morally empty character. Um, like Quarrel's not supposed to be like a sympathetic character necessarily. But yet, the treatment is is that he's fucking gorgeous. But it doesn't. But that's what he, But he it doesn't is, matter. He is he is magnetic. Like the people seem to be like drawn to him, yeah. right? Like even when he's the guy, a protagonist. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, he is not merely the protagonist because the story needs him to be, right? Like the author and the filmmakers are trying to tell us something that like. Right, the qualities that this guy has within him is, is what makes him worthy of being Corral the protagonist. Corel could only invoke the angel of the apocalypse. That Indeed. was the <laughs> subtitle that just passed as we play this in the background. Well, and once again, because you know, as we see later, like being close to Corel is fucking dangerous. Yes. Right, like it is da not not Corel seems to be getting through things okay, but everyone that like gets close or has some sort of interaction with him, they do not end up well in this film. Right, like. Um, I don't know. No, no, does okay. Well, that, that's because no, no's no, no, and uh, oh, no, no, and no, no's in charge. Yeah, played by what's the guy's name? Gunter. That would be Gunter Kaufman. Oh God, I don't remember his last name. He, but he's he is the black our, guy from he, White. Yes, yeah. he is our our, <laughs> our our token black guy of Fastbinder fame. Uh, looking quite sharp. Yeah, and he's very stylish in this in oh, yeah. this film, actually. Man throws dice like nobody's business in this film. It's quite impressive. Yeah, and that um, that's one of the first hooks in the film. In fact, once this uh, once this ship docks at uh, wherever the hell the place, I'm ne I'm not going to remember anything. This Brest. 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 No, yeah. I, I know the name of the place, which is a fun pun that that's what it's called. But what's the name of the Lafaria? There we yeah. go. Lafaria is the I name of the club. I can't remember the names of 
anything in this film. It's such a mood piece. Mm -hmm. Like, it just sort of blends. But anyway, at the Lefaria... That is right, though. The gimmick at Lefaria is that you get... um, You get your pick at the whorehouse as long as you beat No-No at dice. Yes. Um, If you don't beat No-No at dice, uh, you fuck in the ass. But then the... Yes, by No-No. No-No fucks you. Yeah, by No-No. But then the nefarious part is, you know, the underlying trappings of all this, since this is a very homosexual fantasy, is that most of these people going into this are deliberately losing (laughs) to (laughs) No-No for the experience. (laughs) Like, so that's really the big deal here. It is amazing he has an established running business at all, right? Like, considering the fact that there's no money transaction and, got, and losing and then, to and him. He's, yeah, and then he's got a cop that sits at the bar the whole time who's oh. also homosexual but doesn't get yeah. in on this action. Like, he's just, like, the bystander. Alright, we need to pause I, for a moment <laughs> for this fucking ch- chief of police character. So he looks like Judas Priest. for... Yeah. Oh my god. He looks like, he looks like Rob Halford from Judas Priest. Yes, he is, he is 80s heavy metal personified in... In a homosexual context, it is quite wonderful. Oh, and he is both like yeah, the police chief and the creepy guy at the bar at the Laferia. Well, but what's also funny is that the, like the 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 narration and its description of the characters in no way matches the reality that we see on screen, <laughs> which is kind of nice because we're kind of clued into the fact that this guy's supposed to be like exceedingly wealthy, despite the fact that he looks like a leather daddy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I've never seen a cop the, the, so display his wealth in such a manner, and like zooms in on these like really garish fucking. Ring. Yeah, it's like very clear. Yes, I'm glad you pointed that out because that was not what I was getting from what we see here. Uh, but we see one of the best shots in the film now. Actually, oh, we just went away from it. But um, uh, so, um, but yeah, the cop comes to play a larger role later. In fact, he becomes one of the people to seemingly like abduct. Um, Abduct, abduct, uh, uh, abduct Quarrel in his interactions because Quarrel is, of course, a criminal. I mean, let's go ahead and maybe yeah, establish and, and this. I guess he yes. stabbed a guy. Yeah, so he well, stabbed a, her- a guy. You know, opium smuggler. There's another guy in here that stabbed a guy that's getting blamed for the murder Quarrel did. So there is sort of a little bit of murder mystery, and the police does have a job okay. to do. And they put on hats to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so I mean, I guess that's kind of the story going on. Um, yeah. It's a you know. murder mystery with a lot of sex. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no. Pl- the the pl- plot not, is not yeah. real important. No, it's it's how the characters react to or what is the driver of the plot within the characters, right? So the, this thing is primarily a character study, right? Yeah. Like this thing is about like who these people are. Um, what are their internal motivations? I mean, in a sense, the, the, the lieutenant right, yeah, it's is all, all internal. In, it's, it's all well, internal. Corell essentially is all is a lot of internal too. I mean, he the what what drives him is all just like an internal like nothingness. So he's kind of the <laughs> we absolutely inverse of he's he's one of those gays <laughs> where it's not like a spirit thing. It's, there's there's a dichotomy. That I don't know, I, I don't know my gay history well enough to understand where. That's why we're. This, that's why we're doing things like this. Yeah, see, gotta, I don't. I don't know. Like, is there movies gayer than this before Corel? I don't know. Yeah. But I know that this movie is very gay. Yeah, I don't know how much gayer it could be. <laughs> well, I have granted. to say, in the thirty years, uh, in the thirty years hence of gay cinema, I don't think there's a gayer movie that's been made since. No, this I, that's, yeah. <laughs> so, like, we might be an all-time 
you know, gayest movies there's, in contention. There's a lot of it going on. But so yeah. obviously, but, this but has the, to have some historical, re, like yeah. historical significance in that respect. Yeah. But that, I mean, Nicole, you read more of the book. Uh, you didn't necessarily get through it, so you didn't necessarily see everybody's opinion on yeah. it. But at several points in this movie, because when you have seven or eight or twelve gay characters, you can have these shades of gray in it that are not normally present in these films. Mm. Um, they talk about the the different kinds of blaséness to quite a degree yeah. in these like no no fucks everybody because people seem to like it he doesn't love any of them mm-hmm. um, he doesn't even sound like he enjoys it he, yeah it, it's just like his form well, of also, emotional charity and also yeah. like Corell doesn't consider getting fucked by no no gay but if he were to fuck Gil who Gil is Gil tries to act like he's straight but he's pretty much like a very beta gay male mm-hmm. um that's gay yeah, um, you know, so he, he Carell's like, if he fucked Guild, then that would make him gay. Mm-hmm. But being fucked by No-No is not considered gay for Carell. So it's, like, everyone's got different levels to this. What's amazing about that, though, is that even though those kinds of politics, which are very real, <laughs> um, <laughs> those are very real politics, even today, um, is that this is such a mood piece that it doesn't actually feel like a, a study of that concept at all. Okay. Um, even compared to, um, that's not fair. I was going to say something I was going to regret the second I said it. So in any case, <laughs> moving on, related to another movie that has two gay characters in it. Um, only two? Yeah, only two. Huh. That movie is called Me By Your Name. Anyway, we're not reviewing that movie. Okay, so. if I sit now, if we were reviewing that movie, I would argue there's no gay characters in that movie. See, again, there's this is highly political. Yeah. This is, yeah. This By the way, this, that, that movie set it, when this movie is being released. So just a little <laughs> simpatico there. All right, all right, so I'm not being gay. I just want to talk about some gay things, right? Like this sure, movie. Sure, everybody does. Um, yeah, no, I'm... Yeah, we have questions. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got answers, so this is good. Uh, no, okay. I am... Um, I don't, you, you know... So... Right, we have to obviously kind of reconcile the problems of, you know, what it would mean to be gay in a, a situation where there is. Um, oh, these people all know, live on the fringe. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and that being pushed to the outside, right, yeah. and in being literal outsiders, um, we have to recognize that that was like you know it came with costs, and the idea of like. Um, you know, Quarrel's ambiguity about what makes someone gay, right? To mm-hmm. like be fucked or to actively seek out and to penetrate someone else. Um, like I said, I don't want to get into the minutia of the politics here, but I think that there are two things that I wanted to mention real quick, right? One is that for the characters involved here, this is a discussion between people who are seeming, you know, who engage in the same type of behavior, but for different reasons, mm-hmm. right? Like, and this then becomes the way in which they understand or define their relationships to each other. I have to say that's not exactly dissimilar to how any other people engage with each other in the question of whether or not they will fuck each other. The second thing then is that um, what I see also within this is a kind of connection between the criminality of their behavior and the fringe homosexual culture that tends to be in my mind at least being conflated into each other right like yeah that, that's definitely the source material would make that argument because in the film I, yeah. I thought i saw it in the film too yeah. well this and this is you know all in all despite the fact that we none of us would necessarily call this like a good movie as an adaptation of the source material it's it's not too bad like it's it's pretty fair mm-hmm. um and 
the source material would definitely say that there's a link between like the criminality and the homosexuality and like being on the fringes and how that affects your sense of morality. Mm-hmm. In the 50, um, regardless of when the book yeah. is set in the 50s, that was accurate. Yeah. So, yeah. No, the context here is a little important. I keep wanting to talk about Call Me By Your Name, but I'm going to try to resist it. Um, there's. Um, it's pretty sad. That was the that's the gayest movie we could come up with from last year, and I'm not convinced there's any gay people in that movie. Yeah, but why the not? Dad, the dad, just because you like dad. women, you don't get to be gay. Is that what I'm hearing? No, no, because first off, just I mean, as like on like a racy excitement level, the best sex scene in that was when the guy fucked the girl, not mm-hmm. the boyfriend, and yeah. then the other two guys are like. I, you know, they're trying to bring in this, like, uh, what is it, like, oh, like, the Greek kind of, like, ancient, like, they were just buddies that summer, and then they're both gonna go on to lead straight fucking lives. Because society, man. I, but then they're like, oh, the parents are all cool with that, so they don't even do that message very well. And that would have been okay on some level if the movie had been set in 2017 when it was made, but the okay. movie attempted to be more brave by setting it in a past where that wouldn't have happened. And they're too... And, okay, and this is from the gay people I talked about with this movie who also said they can't relate to it at all. Like, oh yeah, like, I summer in fucking Italy and then the one gay person in my fucking summer villa is also, like, some really good-looking Jewish John Hamm-looking guy. It's just preposterous. So. Yeah, it's, it's bullshit. This movie, on the other hand, even though there are yeah, a lot of very attractive people in it... The sex um, here is not attractive. No, not in any way, shape, or Which form. Which makes it feel very real. It's, um, yeah, there are, there are like five sex, quote-unquote, by the broadest definition of sex. Yeah. And um, we're about to watch the most sensual of them, and um, it's mostly just Vaseline. It's not actually... Yeah. Um, it's certainly not passionate, I no, guess would be the way no. to describe it. Uh, this is well, no the, no the on. Cockatiel seems excited. I can tell you Just that much. I did not catch that's that. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm basically done talking about this movie in a formulaic fashion. What the hell is going on? And uh, what what's the deal with Fastbinder as relates to um, this being? He didn't know this was going to be his last film. Yeah. No, he didn't. But this, I, I guess, but this was like the. Um, this is like the movie he he was able to like let it all out. Like he no longer <laughs> like his, his characters his characters no longer had to be like ambiguous like amb- well not that they were necessarily ambiguous at all. But I mean this was just the one where he's like fuck it everyone's gay the goddamn set is gay like <laughs> like the sailors are gonna wear low cut tank tops. I'm not holding back. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just imagining what the movie if he had survived in this had what been the a, next movie yeah, would have been. What in five years would have been going? He would have to have gone reality TV with it at some point. Like this would not have been able to hold his interest for that long because he did. I mean, Whitey was the earliest of the movies that we saw, isn't it? Yes. Yes, Whitey, uh, and is also absolutely the most sterile I mean nothing like the stuff that happens in Whitey I the scene the sex scene that we're talking about right here in deriding this is still way more tense than the scene where is, in Whitey he gets whipped yeah I know it, there's there is like an amazing sterility even of all the sex scenes cumulatively that we've seen in Fastbinder movies like no, people don't even like have their clothes off during these scenes. No. They're so stiff and awkward. <laughs> it's 
It's hard, which is why I liked your comment. You said that this movie feels like actual gay sex. It's so fucking awkward because this one, at least there's some kind of clothes taken off, but the whole, the whole experience is just fucking... It's, yeah. It's, you gotta be there. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, just, it's not... It's, yeah, like there's no finesse at all going on here. Yeah, there's like three hand jobs. One's a self-hand job. Mm-hmm. They're all hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Like, just to be clear, this is a one out of one stars. I recommend this movie to everybody, yeah. especially straight people. Yeah. Uh, you need yeah, watch it, watch it with your friends. Watch yeah. it with your parents. Like you should, just to one, get the experience. Oh, God damn it, it's so good. No, I find so <laughs> such a good character. But I mean, I have to say that I am really upset that he dies after this film. Like the direction he's heading with this film, it's a good one. I mean, if this could get, I mean, if his next film was even more like this, like this, like what if he could have harnessed this kind of like style and repression, and like had like even more money. Yeah. <laughs> no, again, that's the thing. That's why I said he he would have to start doing candid camera shit. Yeah. It's like, you can't have that many more gay characters on set. The set is already phallic. I can see three dicks from where we're at. And these are large dicks. Oh yeah, they yeah. are. They are human size. Corel is, you know, just wearing pants covered in covered in coal and dirt as the lieutenant glistening. looks up his luscious body. Yeah. No, yeah, I, absolutely. if there's a gayer movie, I've not seen it. <laughs> so, I don't really know where to go from there. Well, I'm, I'm glad we, we find, I guess we finally found what we were looking for out yeah, of this so. experience. No, absolutely. This was not the... Dr- when I said uh, the first one, the Chinese roulette, was the, you know, the, there was another movie in another direction. Yeah. I this was not what I envisioned. <laughs> How could you have but envisioned it, this? Yeah, but it was, I was a little nervous. But it was good, it was good enough in its own way and i appreciate what he did with it yeah so i have to say yeah that- i mean yeah gay say like you can i guess that's true you couldn't fit any more gay people like in the same area for a storyline right. the, the only thing you could do is make it more orgiastic yeah that's basically it which um if we're doing our spiritual successors and go to uh the wachowskis after this they do take it to that level, but the, it's not as gay. They're they're more gender fluid. Uh oh. Yeah. Oh my. But um, their latest stuff has lots of group sex. Excellent. All yeah. Right. All Excellent. right. Okay. Which yeah, I guess that's the one. Well, because because we're still like you know because the the bisexual and homosexual sex in these movies we're still at a time of repression, so it's still awkward and stuff. In two thousand and eight, you can you can kind of like ecstasy up the mood. And you can, you know, get everybody kind of flowing together a little bit more in a like a less awkward way. Well, it's especially when you have a lot of money to do that. Well, okay, so Fassbinder makes makes films about damaged, broken people on the fringes, and it shouldn't surprise us that his movies are damaged, mostly broken, and certainly on the fringes of cinematic history, which happen to be a lot of homosexuals. And so, <laughs> but the problem too is that, like, right, in dealing with homosexuality in the '60s and '70s, you know, being on the fringe, all right, being openly homosexual was was a mark uh, that put you out of normal. It was actually polite, like against the law I mean, in like a lot of these society. places. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. illegal to it's do illegal. these things. It's illegal. It's an actual. <laughs> criminal act against the status quo but then I think it's just to kind of remark over where you know things when we start to compare you know movies about homosexuality today to movies or themes about homosexuality from the past 
It's all about gender fluidity now. Well, which I know, it yeah, wasn't it's, back it's then. all a bunch of bullshit. And yeah, <laughs> it's all a bunch of California parents anyway. So you know, there's just this idea though that. Well, let's be frank, right? If you are as you are approaching microphone discipline. Oh no, no, no! I was right. just getting it out of your face a little bit. As we are like approaching, right, like the ways in which by the se- after the sexual revolution, where homosexuality at least is coming into its, <coughs> you know, approach. Uh, you know, this like you know arc of acceptability to, well, to the mainstream finding culture. Well, they're finding enclaves yeah. for themselves. I mean, you have to realize that then they get hit by the AIDS crisis, right? All through the 80s and 90s where there is this... I mean, it, it goes from fucking dark to a little bit of high, light on the horizon to, to, fucking a, to dark. the AIDS crisis. And by, you know, it's there's a reason why I think, you know, in the late 2000s and now today, you know, homosexuality can be seen maybe not as something that is like, you know, oppressed by guilt and... Um, and 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 harshness and criminality, because you know, thankfully we put a lot of that shit that shit behind us, and it's when looking back at these films to where they look very strange to us, right? The like the way in which homosexuality is presented to us, or even when it's presented to us today, as it existed during that dark period of time, right? That's when it's like you know, this is a little tone deaf, even. Well, no, for, it, that's that's the thing. If you consider this from a purely aesthetic perspective of the way that they're treating the characters mm-hmm. who are obviously gay, this is the way that um, gay characters are treated homophobically today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cop is one hundred percent. If if you imagine that kind of, if you just need an, a flamboyantly obviously homosexual person in your cast, this is the person you would not even be able to get away with this at least not over the past couple of years, but mm-hmm. at least into the 2000s, that's 100% what they look like. Well, but There's I, a South Park character that looks exactly like him. Does I forget yeah. what his name is. Mr. Slave. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, like, I gotta be frank with you, too, guys. Like, one of the things that made Paris's Burning really fucking tragic, right, was that, like, them, this community eking, I mean, just barely scratching out a fucking positive experience for themselves, right, was surrounded by kids whose lives would fucking, this would resonate to them to a certain extent, right? Like, you know, the the interview with those young boys in Paris is burning, right? They're like, mm-hmm. you know, teenager-ish, and yeah. there and experiencing this, this life, knowing what happens to a lot of the characters in that film and the way that they're speaking about their hopes and their dreams for, their, for themselves, like, um... I mean, these people are eking out a very, very tough existence in this. And, you know, to see them to like the the way in which we would look at this, if someone if a straight person made this today or even if a gay person made this today. Right. It would be, you know, outlandish, outrageous and almost, you know, um, insulting to a certain extent. And yet this guy who lived this way, who lived in this community, who existed in this community, made a film like this, right? Like, said, like, like this is the film I want to make. Like, this is the way I want to portray this. Um, and it's it's kind of tough to go back and look at it from our eyes, right? Like, I mean, I, th- I like th- to be open like to think of myself as being someone open to experience trying to understand something on its own terms and in that sense too while it's not a great film a good film i do find it to be incredibly likable and i, ha- I do have to say that this past month man i've had some perspective on fast Beender. Uh, i watched 13 moons again as well and i actually wanted to go back and try to that watch thing that is one fucking depressing in a really really important way okay like i do have to say that imagine a transgender person as, as tough as tough as things are for transgendered people today, being being someone who has transitioned yeah. in the seventies, um, it, it was yeah, that was a rough life. incredibly incredibly uh, affecting because I think it is a window into. 
I think there's a lot of psychological and emotional truth to that film. And Fassbinder, unfortunately for me, sometimes gets in the way of that a little bit, right? Like, I do think that his own proclivities as a filmmaker do tend to obscure, um, almost in being too blunt... Uh, mm -hmm. Or too direct with what it is, and that's something like to be said. He almost for as like well. lacks a little bit of a finesse. Yeah, that, that that is the weird thing is his his reach absolutely outdoes his grasp. I think he's not. Act, I, I think he is straight up not a good director. I tell you though, the one thing that makes his movies so bad is well, that he's a quantity over quality guy. <laughs> but I do have to say, stylistically, I mean, I think he is deliberate in what he's trying to do here. I really do. I do not yeah. think that these are f that his style is as accidental. But I will have no, to say that one no, thing, that hang on, the one thing that makes his movies really bad is the fact that I do think they're incredibly honest. I, I really, I've... Maybe I've, too honest. Yeah, I think, they, I think it's almost uncomfortable. That's why they are a little... Like unnerving to but, a certain extent, but that's uh, that's a directorial fault. Though. Absolutely. Oh no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah that's, no, that's he, something he could absolutely. The right director could get away with that. The Coen Brothers have made a living doing it. Yes, like it can be done better. No, but you no, know, there aren't that many Coen Brothers. Right? No, I mean no. You, they need two of them. And there's not right any here. LBGT <laughs> Coen Brothers yeah. at this point no, 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 either. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's a trivial thing to accomplish, but. You know, it's it requires. I mean, and it's obviously well, a whole lot harder to make a movie that is honest and watchable at the same time. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of them because we didn't even get into because he does a lot of good films about like kind of like women in the patriarchy stuff too, mm -hmm. and they're actually like, like I said, they're the stories are really good. But yeah, maybe you're right. It's just he he lacks a certain amount of finesse as a filmmaker, so it makes his stuff kind of tough to get through. There's because they're not, they're not enjoyable experiences. I don't, mm -hmm. and it's not. Uh, I even find them not to be as hard hitting as they should be. Uh -huh. And Thirteen Moons is actually an example of this. I didn't watch the entirety of Thirteen Moons, but um, if I'm we remembering got, we correctly, we got a good twenty minutes through it. Yeah, there's a slaughterhouse yes, scene, an extensive slaughterhouse and, scene. I mean, yes, watching animals get skinned. Alive and uh, all the it's not it's not great. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. it's it's but the problem is he didn't have to bring anything to that for that to be depressing. And then he just slaps incredibly trying, depressing words. Yeah, on Yeah, he's of trying it. to juxtapose like the the narrator's and, like depressing story on top of like some visually horrific stuff, and, and it's it's not graceful. And the the problem is that it is it's only effective in being brutal. Yeah. And that's not the same as just being effective for evoking what he's trying to evoke. Because it's not literally like a slaughterhouse. It's not like an allegory. No, they're just... A, it's, it's just, just a, a dire circumstance. actual slaughterhouse, yeah. So, I mean, he would say that, you know, I think first off, right, a fast-meter, if, if I could channel my inner fast-meter here, right, he would say, like, he's like, you know, you call my films unwatchable, these people's lives are unwatchable, even to themselves, Right, like they, these people's these, these are people's lived experiences mm -hmm. that we're seeing, and just imagine that you think you think it's unwatchable. Imagine it being unlivable, and you know we are at a weird point where you know the 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 emphasis on watchability in cinema as relayed as as what should be accomplished first before you then try to say, well, there needs to be some honesty here, there needs to be some emotional resonance, there needs to be some relatability, right? Like, let's kind of like shoehorn that shit in afterwards as long as we can make it watchable. And 
maybe we've got that a little bit backwards, you know, like there's... Oh, I agree. And for the vast majority of filmmakers, you know, like, they're, you know, as long as it's sleek, as long as it's got good pacing, as long as it's got some bankable stars in it, you know, if if people come away from this being affected as for re-examining what they look like or how they look or what the world actually is to people, um, that is something I think that a fast-beamer defender would want to kind of come back to it. Now, of course, we have a larger debate within art that we don't going to have here. Thank you, dear <laughs> listeners and watchers. Right, but I would say that, uh, like I said, I think I've just been surprised that what appears to be haphazard is deliberate. What appears to be overstylized is in fact um, intently psychological, and what appears to be unwatchable is is the kind of brutal honesty that he brings to this craft. And um, it's not the best formula. Uh, you will get a lot of zero out of one stars out of it. But I do have to say that doesn't just because I don't want to see a, a film. And to a certain extent, some of the most impactful films I've seen are ones I do not are want to zero watch out again. of one stars. Yeah, like, yeah I, wanna, I got a so, long list of those. Ironically, we've kind of come around to the point for at least for me, where a zero out of one stars might be a mark of distinction, right? Like might be something that a is, film could be proud of. I think it is in this because I mean, as a whole, I have to give this fast binder experience a zero out of one star. But I'm really actually glad that we did this because I don't know that I need to go revisit a lot of this stuff <laughs> but like I'm glad it has been here to visit it's, um, a, it's a tough recommendation which yeah. is, watch this film you won't want to watch it again Yeah, but you yeah. should see it <laughs> y'all gotta see this yeah yeah absolutely and I think what I mean is there any more higher compliment that you could have for a filmmaker than you should see this yeah, you could say you got to see this. It's really good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. That, okay. That's kind of the problem. It's, right, it's, yeah. <laughs> and again, it's well, I, I'm not I'm not thoroughly indicting it. It's, uh, it's yeah. worth it's it's worth making that film. It's just frustrating that it is so uncommon that someone with a vision or debonair to do a film like this mm-hmm. is not going to attract the talent that it takes to make that film something that because it's literally that. It's the movie is hard to, and I guess maybe this is really what I mean when I say watchable, is that it's not connective. Mm-hmm. When yeah. you're watching Thirteen Moons, it's really fucking depressing. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, it is so far afield mm-hmm. that it makes it impossible to relate to the characters. And if that's the intention, that's fair. Like I can totally understand. I mean, that's one of the no, best villains. Of- one of the best villains of all time is Anton Chigurh, precisely because you can't relate to him. Mm-hmm. That's what makes him a good character. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's. I don't think that's the point in Thirteen Moons. But that's moves. still mm-hmm. yeah constructed. No, it's some of it is just it's just choice. It's like choice and like like especially like in Thirteen Moons, like how he decides to introduce you know the relationship with the guy she used to have. I mean, just mm-hmm. comes in and he starts beating her and yelling at her, and you don't even have context for this, <laughs> and you're like, okay, I mean, I guess that's how this would go down. But as mm-hmm. someone watching this, it's hard to like. You know, it's it's hard to get into the story. And that's also why I was saying it sort of as yeah. a joke, but I'll double down on it now because <laughs> now's the time. Um, I do think Fastbinder would love reality television. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely his speed, is putting a camera in places people don't want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, like, the quick, easy, and cheapness of which you could pump stuff out that in too. that matter, <laughs> in that manner, uh, okay. I think would definitely have played well to his style of filmmaking. Yeah, because, I mean, when you have your actors delivering lines as flatly as most of his do Mm -hmm. in most of the film, which 
I don't, again, I don't think that was quite intentional. I think that's because he doesn't know how to get that out of most of his actors. Because mm-hmm. um, he was mostly just casting his friends and people he wanted to sleep with. That's yeah. that's the kind of thing you don't have to worry about when you film real people. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, like, the dude who plays Corel, um, he was in, um, was it Midnight Express, I think, or the um, one about the Turkish prison that was made in 78. I have not that? seen that Holy one, but I'm familiar. Shit. I've heard it's a great... Fuck, man, It's yeah. a great thing you don't want to watch again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this thing... I mean, but like, once again, this guy has some chops to him, you know? Like, yeah, he's no, not he, did, like... he did actually start getting better better actors towards the end. Um, but, but yeah, like you, like you said, but him necessarily knowing how to get the best performances out of him maybe wasn't his forte. He probably just liked yelling at people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, from what we can see from his, he likes, he likes sitting around in hotel lobbies. He likes yelling at people. He yeah. likes being on the phone and smoking. Uh, yeah, that sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there are certain actors where the the director has to suppress their charisma in order to um, to actually cause them to deliver a flat performance. I'm mm-hmm. scared to name anyone in particular at the moment because I feel like I'm going to come up with eight counterexamples. But um, you all know who I mean. You have an actor that you like. <laughs> Apparently everybody likes Jack Nicholson no matter what he does. I don't... I'm lukewarm on him. Yeah, I'm... One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah, it's fine. Actually, no, it's not fine. That movie sucks ass. Um, oh it is the. It is not the first or the second or the dozenth, but it is certainly in a very long line of ways in which Hollywood changed reality for the worse. My goodness. Um, All right, well, hold on to that. Let's save that for another podcast. Yeah, we, okay, good. If we ever do to. Julian Donkey Boy, we can do that subject because I think that's the most accurate depiction of mental illness, not Hollywood. Excellent. I mean, that's that's the exact opposite of what I'm talking <laughs> about. I'm talking about ways in which Hollywood has clearly degraded public discourse because they don't actually know what they're talking yeah. about. And uh, that's infuriating. But anyway, this movie is so easy to get off track on. Yes. Um, well, it's 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 like all of these. They're they're sort of hard to discuss because there's. <laughs> I guess you just have to go through the experience. It's like gay sex. You just have to go through the experience. It it's might not be great. Zero yeah. out of one stars. Yeah. yeah for gay sex for most for people. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for these movies. Acquired taste. Indeed. <sighs> We're watching one of the five hand jobs right now. Between um, the police and Corral. I mean, do you guys want to discuss anything else about the movie? I don't. Uh, no. I don't know what else there is, like, really <laughs> to so, discuss. Are we on to the next one? Are well, we on to the next one? I'm fine moving on, but I wanted. Yeah, again. like I said, this is this has been this has been like probably the most challenging set of films. Mm-hmm. Um, what so one of the good things about doing these sections on you know obscure new German directors like Herzog and Fassbinder is one, like the ability to make a film never felt so close because you know you watch these things <laughs> and you're like, if I had like twenty thousand dollars and a couple people that were game, mm-hmm. could fucking do this. Yep. Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> But on the flip side, you know, especially with something like this, it's 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 so hard to talk about because there is like a certain amount of esotericness mm-hmm. to it that just makes it hard for like a to like generally discuss this. Like this would be it'd be hard to get like a normal person to watch this, let alone <laughs> be able to discuss it with them. The touch points are far and few between. Yeah, for discussing um, it. So like, and and I like. I like uncomfortable film experiences. That's part of the reason I wanted to try this out because, you know, I I don't know if there is better or worse LBGT 
like movies on the front or back end of uh, Fastbinder's <laughs> career. But I, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad we delved into this despite how uncomfortable it's been because it, it has been like a really neat experience. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I don't regret it. Yeah. So even if it did take way too long, and yeah. We did like have I to said, watch it, that we sci-fi did. Film. We did a solid five cabbage dinners Absolutely. over the course of trying to find three watchable Fastbinder films. Yeah. Good what? food. Good company. All right, film. <laughs> Luckily, that won't be a problem for our next set. No. So Woo. we've got uh, we've got some reset on the horizon. That's Total right. Reset. <laughs> Indeed. You guys will have heard of these movies. Indeed. Yeah, so I apologize for the esoteric turn I, no, I took fine. us, but I, you know, it, it's been educational. We're gonna fix that. We're going to space and back in the Wachowski starship. Ooh. Um, we've picked all three of the movies, but we're only gonna reveal one by talking about it obliquely. There aren't that many to choose from, yeah. so it's really not that much of a secret. Which one do we want to do first? Well, I I would like something with some zazz after this experience. I'm not gonna lie. All right. Well, that narrows it down to two, from what I've heard. Yes. I, I just want to get—I just want to get the elephant out of the room. Yeah, I want to do the biggie. I want—I yep. want—I want a movie that will drain all of my serotonin. Yep. Um, and I want to sit like right there watching it. All right. Um, and uh, so I think we know what movie that is. Cloud at no, we're watching. We <laughs> <laughs> um, will be doing uh, Speed Racer. Oh. It's been yes. a long time coming. Yeah, and We've I mean, th- these these guys weren't originally LBGTQ directors, but they did transition. They so did. it is it is kind of a, you know, it's like a 21st century. And we have been threatening this movie since we've started this podcast. Yeah. No, this, so. this is the yeah, most David amazing inside joke that we never actually, like no one who listens to this and doesn't know us understood the joke that was playing <laughs> but there are about 50 references yeah. to Speed Racer <laughs> in this every, podcast almost every single one um, you can go back and find them now like where's uh. Waldo puzzles but um that is uh, that's the movie we're gonna do that's a, that's a very long exhausting film um, I can't I recommend mean, it enough yes excellent so guys, I'm really excited. I'm gonna get some astronaut ice cream. We can eat it together while watching Speed Racers. That sound fun? Look, hook me up if you know where to buy that stuff. It is harder to acquire now than it used well, to be. Well, Lucky's now has like the Mookie kind of ice creams that are like the little. No, I need to We live 45 minutes away from Cape Canaveral. Like, I swear to God, I can get some astronaut ice cream at Cape Canaveral. Amazon stopped selling it by the case. What? It's not as cheap as it used to be. Oh, that's okay. Very good. You got paper quality. Yeah. In this economy, anyway. (laughs) Ryan, Nicole. Oh, Oh, David. David. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Good morning, everyone. Thank you.